The book of Psalms tells us precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. We know that. And yet when it's personal, when it's our family, it's very difficult. Uh, we can rejoice with them in what Dan is going through because they're rejoicing. And we can rejoice with them when God does call Dan home. But pray that the Lord would continue to use Dan in the time that he has left. Dan has had a, a big impact on a lot of lives, some that we probably never will know about. But I know that his testimony has extended far and wide uh, through the dialysis and through other things that have gone on. And I would just ask that you would pray for the family and Dan as well in the days ahead. The Lord knows what's best. Lord knows what's best. Okay, book of the law. Um, I remember, oh, some time ago on a radio station, there used to be a fellow that came on, I think his, his name was Neil Shaket. And his little blurb was always, the way he put it, looking at the law. And he gave little tidbits about the law. Of course, he was talking about man's law. What we're talking about here is the law that is much more important than that, God's law. We started last week in the book of Genesis, and as I said, a brief survey of the law, first five books of the Bible, and we got through chapter 11, so to speak, of Genesis. So we have a lot of ground to cover today. I'm going to try to finish. I'm not going to rush through just so I can get finished because that's not a priority. There are other priorities that I have. One is that as we continue to look at the book of Genesis, that we find there that the focus is on man's sin. Man's sin. Genesis is the book of beginnings, we know, and we went through the creation account and things like that. But we want to focus on the fact that man has sin in his life. Uh, I was talking to someone earlier this morning before the first service about um, how, how good God is and, and how good he was to the nation Israel, and yet they continually turn their backs on him. But aren't we the same way? Isn't God good to us? God has provided for us a way of salvation, and we still continue to turn our back on God, or as I said last week, we sin, which is really a slap in the face to the Lord. Uh, and we need to reevaluate in our lives just exactly how we are going to treat God. Before the world was created... God had determined that Jesus, his own son, God himself, was going to give his life, shed his blood to go to the cross to cover my sins. God loved me that much. God loved you that much. We need to reevaluate how we conduct our lives in view of that. Okay, Genesis. I'm not going to preach on that this morning. I'm not going to preach on heaven. I'm not going to preach going to go through this survey. We saw that the, uh, we, we saw the place and time of Genesis, the uh, fact, fact that the first, the first 11 chapters of Genesis covered about the first 2,400 years of, of history. Then I got into a genealogy in, in chapter 6 that got me in trouble a little bit because I figured wrong. I started back here. I should have started down here and worked my way back. Okay. Uh, but I was corrected on that. Thank you very much, those that, that mentioned that to me. Uh, I was in error. And, and I find it pretty interesting that right after that particular portion that I have in my notes where it talks about that um, genealogy and doing the math, I have this in my notes. It says, 
be very careful whenever anyone is teaching you something, especially the Bible. Don't ever take for granted what they are saying is the truth. I would encourage you to search the Scripture to see exactly what the truth is. God's Word is truth. Now, I put that in there right after that, not knowing that I was going to make the major blurb and have to correct myself, but uh, thank you for those. Although there was one comment that I'm not sure I'm really totally happy with, and that was that when I mentioned that God created light, the comment, there was a comment that was made that said, he should know because he's the one that pulled the chain to turn it on. <laughs> Talking about me. Uh, that's okay. That's okay. Had I been there, I would have been happy to do that. Um, actually, I came somewhere between Noah and Abraham, so I'm a few years later down the road. Um, interesting to me, though, that as we looked at the genealogies there, we, we, we found that Methuselah lived, lived to be 969 years old. Most of these men lived 500, 600, 700, 800 years prior to the flood. And then uh, just before the flood, in chapter 6, if you would turn with me to Genesis, Genesis chapter 6, In verse 1 of chapter 6, it says, When men began to increase in number on the earth and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw that the daughters of men were beautiful and they married any of them they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit will not contend with man forever, for he is mortal. His days will be 120 years. So God has just decrease the lifespan of man. Of course, this was no surprise to God. God knew what was going to happen. He had it in his plan all along. He said, we're going to, we're going to, they're not going to live quite as long as they used to. We're going to decrease the age of man to 120 years. Now, some men lived longer than that after the flood, obviously. Moses lived exactly 120 years, the writer of our law. Uh, but God had determined that because of man's sinfulness, he's going to decrease the lifespan. Of course, I think it was also important prior to the flood to have men living extended lives because somebody had to populate the earth. So they lived for many, many years and had many, many children. We don't know how many in most cases. We know that in, in some cases it says that so-and-so begat so-and-so, and we don't know how many other children they had. This is just a genealogy that's handed down to us. But uh, I, I believe the earth had to be populated uh, until it got to the point in Noah's day in Noah's day, which is around 2300 B.C., around 2300 B.C., the earth was full of sin, and God said, I'm going to destroy it. Noah, here's what I want you to do. Noah, 600 years old. Noah, here's what I want you to do. I want you to build an ark. And Noah, I can imagine Noah's mind is an ark. Lord, what's an ark? A boat. A boat? Lord, what's a boat? Uh, no, Noah didn't question. Noah just followed God's commands. He did what he was supposed to do. And you know as well as I that Noah endured the flood, Noah and his family. So at the end of the flood, when the flood was over after a year, Noah, his wife, his three sons, and their wives were the only human beings left on earth. Now we start going down through another genealogy in chapter 11, which we'll not dwell on, but I do want to point out the significance in, in chapter 11 of the genealogy there that we find from Noah to Abraham that the majority of the men or the majority of the ages of the men when they're 
child that's listed in the genealogy was born is less than 100 years old. Some of them lived to be longer than 100, older than 120, but that was the norm at that particular point. So now we're in chapter 12 of, uh, of Genesis, and we, we center there on the figure of Abraham. Abraham. Uh, we're not going to talk a lot about Abraham because I'm sure most of you are familiar with Abraham, his role in the Lord's purpose for this earth and the purpose for mankind. But uh, Abraham, we, we find in Abraham God making some, in uh, the 12th chapter of Genesis, God making some promises to, to Abraham. And if you've taken any, any Bible college courses or probably anybody who would teach on the book of Genesis would talk about Abraham being given a blessing, the land, the seed, and the blessing where God, God told Abraham, look, look, look at the stars in heaven, look at the sand on the seashore. I'm going to make your descendants more numerous than that. I'm promising you this. And God always promises when God promises something, he always keeps his promises. Matter of fact, God always gives us more than he's promised us. Uh, if, if he would just stop at his promises, we would be a blessed people. But God always provides us more than what he has promised us. But uh, we find through that what, what we call the Abrahamic covenant, which I'll not get into, just that Abraham was given this promise and it was carried out down through the years. Uh, shortly after that, the next figure we see in the book of uh, Genesis is Jacob. And Jacob is the one whose name was changed to Israel. He was the, the father of Israel. You know, Jacob primarily through his, uh, his sons, uh, Ishmael and uh, Isaac. And uh, it's not right. Jacob and Esau. Jacob and Esau. Somebody jump up and say, hey, whoop, you goofed again. Stick to my nose. Then we go down through the story of Joseph, who was sold into slavery. We know the story where Jacob then took the family because there was a famine in the land of Israel. Jacob took his family into Egypt. And that brings us to the end of the book of Genesis. And we find that uh, the nation Israel is now in Egypt. And they're basically in captivity at this point. Uh, Joseph has died. A new Pharaoh has come along that didn't know Joseph, the Bible tells us, and the children of Israel really are treated like slaves. Their primary job was to be brick makers, brick makers, and to do menial tasks that, and, and of course the Egyptians took care of them as well as you take care of a slave, but uh, God had a purpose in mind and knew exactly what was going to happen. So this brings us to the book of Exodus. The book of Exodus actually covers about 80 or 90 years of the history of Israel. It gives us first the, the birth of Moses, and then it takes us through the wandering in the wilderness, the exodus out of Egypt. So that's therefore the name. Um, exodus is actually a continuation of the book of Genesis, where Genesis gives us an account of man's sin. Exodus provides us with an account of man's redemption. So we have man's sin in Genesis man's redemption in the book of Exodus. We have the historical record of the Exodus from Egypt and the written, the written account of the system of worship that was to be followed by the children of Israel. The purpose for the book, God had promised Abraham this land and seed and blessing, and from the land of Egypt, one might begin to wonder if God had not just completely forsaken Israel. He said, Abraham, here's what you're going to have. And the next thing we know in the book of Exodus, we find the the nation Israel living in captivity, 
Or what about this promise that God made to us? Well, sometimes we have to be patient. God isn't finished with us yet. Until he is, we need to be patient. He will help us. He will help us. Uh, In Exodus, we see that not only did God not forget, but he also provided a written record of the way of redemption for his people. Uh, Key verse in the book of Exodus probably is Exodus chapter 3 and verse 8. It says there, So I have come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of that land into a good and spacious land, a land flowing with milk and honey. I believe the key word for the book of book of Exodus following this idea of redemption of mankind is redeem. Um, we find many circumstances of redemption there in the in the book of Exodus. Uh, chapters 7 through 11, we find the plagues that God sent upon the Egyptians. And these plagues, we'll not rehearse each of these because if we do, we'll be here until next month. Uh, I don't have that long, so we'll just simply mention the plagues. But I do want to mention that these plagues that were brought upon the land of Egypt, they were not only a hardship to the Egyptian people, but they were also making mockery of the gods of Egypt. Each of these, each of these plagues that were brought paralleled different gods that the Egyptians worshipped, and, and it, was, it was like God is saying, see, this god really is a false god because... Here's what is happening to the people, and he's not doing anything about it. So it was sort of making mockery of the Egyptian gods, as well as bringing this, these plagues to, to uh, the Egyptians, all to get the attention of Pharaoh. Moses, you know, became the leader of Pharaoh. We, we talked a little bit about that last week, about his life. It actually is, starts there in, in Exodus chapter 2, the birth of Moses. We find the account there. But uh, Moses is, is raised up now and is appointed by God to be the leader of Israel as they wander through the wilderness. When he was 80 years old, he took the people out. So you saw, you see, I, I don't feel so old after all. Moses was 80 when he led them out. How many of you would want to follow me the next 40 years? <sighs> Fortunately, God hasn't, hasn't put his finger on me and said, here's what I want you to do. Uh, I would probably react in the same way that Moses did. Me, you want me to go to Pharaoh and say, let my people go? You know, I, I don't think I can do Matter of fact, Moses said, I'm, I'm slow to speech, Lord. Meaning that, I don't think, meaning he didn't, I don't think he had a speech impediment. I think he meant, I'm scared to speak. And we can all, we can all identify with that as well because ask you to teach the Sunday school lesson next week, get up in front and teach the lesson. Most of us would say, who, me? Uh, but that's, that's just the way we are. But when God calls, and you know that God is calling, answer that call. Because God not only has a task for you to do, he also has a way for you to accomplish that task. Just rely upon the Lord, and he can make it happen. Beginning in chapter 12, we see Israel delivered from Egypt and being guided by God, and and God making provision for their needs. So we go on down through now the the book of, of Exodus. Uh, one of the one of the primary things that we find in Exodus is the giving of the Ten Commandments or the giving of the law as we generally think of the law. But we have the giving of the Ten Commandments there in uh, in chapter 20. And then following in the next few chapters, 21 through 23, we see the laws of the laws of person, the laws of property, the laws of state. And we see that God is also promising to Israel an angel that's going to guide them through the wilderness. Um, God is good.
chapters 24 through 40 in the book of Exodus introduce a system of worship with many details for the tabernacles and its accessories. If you want to do an interesting study sometime, go into these chapters, chapter 24 through chapter 40 of Exodus, and, and reconstruct in your mind or reconstruct on paper or through a model project the tabernacle as it was dictated to Moses to make. All the different items that were used in, in worship all have special meanings. These, these were all given to Moses in uh, those chapters in the book of Exodus. Each of them have specific meanings. Each of them are types of things that we find later in the, in the New Testament. But without going through all those, just very interesting study to study the Old Testament tabernacle. Remembering that it was a portable thing because they took it with them as they wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. That brings us then to the book of Leviticus. Oh, boy, we got through Exodus quickly. Maybe I've got time to say something. No, I won't do that. The book of Leviticus. The period of time that's covered by the book of, of Leviticus is only about one month. Just about one month. Uh, it begins and it ends in the same place, Mount Sinai. The children of Israel were waiting for the leading of the Lord, but first their order of approach to, to the Lord had to be made clear, and their means of fellowship with the Lord had to be made clear. So we find that then in the book of Exodus. All the events from Exodus chapter 19 to Numbers 10 take place in a period of about one year. So we had 2,400 years in the first 11 chapters of, of, of uh, Genesis, and now I hear from Exodus to Numbers we're covering about one year. So time is really quickly fleeting. Uh, purpose of the book of Leviticus, to show that God is holy and that man must be holy as God is holy. Has that purpose changed? Somebody go like this. <laughs> no, it's the same now as it was then. We need to be holy as God is holy. God helps us to do that, which then brings us to the, the subject of obedience, which I'll not get into now. But it really, it really boils down to how am, I, how am I going to conduct my life? Am I going to follow the Lord? Am I going to be obedient? Or am I going to do what I want to do? Oh, boy, hard task. We don't find much about redemption in the book of Leviticus because it shows us a redeemed man already, how he can approach God and how he can worship God. Once a man is redeemed, he needs a way to have fellowship with the Lord who redeemed him. It's not an automatic thing, but God has provided that way. We find in this, uh, in this book the emphasis on the blood of, of sacrifices and the blood and the constant appropriating of the blood in one's life. This is a lesson that needs to be Reemphasized in the daily life of the believer. When a believer confesses his sin, forgiveness is only on the basis of the shed blood. The shed blood. Many have called, many who theologians, which I don't count myself as a theologian, but many have, have called the book of Leviticus the bloody book because there's so much sacrifice and things going on which involve blood. But God is using this to show the people that the shedding of the blood is necessary. And for us, the only thing we can, we can hang our salvation on is the shedding of the blood of Jesus Christ. God himself came to earth.
gave his life that we might have life. To have fellowship with God calls for a life of separation and sanctification. Pastor preaches on that all the time. Separation, sanctification. Be ye holy as I am holy, God said. God demanded that not only the priest, but the people also be separated unto him. The opening words of the book of Leviticus, in, in my Bible, I use an NIV, the opening words there of the book of, Venice, of uh, Leviticus is, The Lord called. The Lord called. And those words in the Hebrew language are a par- parallel with the Greek word, ekklesia, which means the called out ones. The called out ones. Do a word study on the Hebrew word, the the Greek word, ekklesia, the Hebrew for the Lord called. And we find that they, they, they have parallel, their parallel meaning. And I believe that God was was... Even back in the book of Leviticus, God knew that the church was going to come out. He knew that there were going to be some called out for his purpose to bind themselves together to glorify him. And it's, it's interesting that that parallel is made there. Um, key verse in Leviticus, probably verse, uh, chapter 19, verse 2, where it says, Speak to the entire assembly of Israel and say to them, Be holy, because I, the Lord your God, am holy. Then the key word then in the book of Leviticus is probably the word holy. There are other words that come from the same stem word as the word holy. We have words sanctify or sanctuary or hallow. And these words appear about 130 times in the book of Leviticus. But the emphasis there is on is on holy. Now, we saw in the book of uh, Genesis about man's sin. We saw in the book of Exodus man's redemption. We see in the book of, of Leviticus the key one of the key things there is man's means of worship. God is instituting a way that man can worship him. If man is left to his own devices to worship God, we would not worship God. If God left it up to me or you to worship him in a way that we wanted, we just would not do it. And I don't say that in a harsh manner. I don't say that because I'm not a nice person. I say that because it's reality. We, 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 we're sinners. We're sinners saved by grace. And, and if it's left up to us, we won't do that. But God has given us a way. If we will, my talk earlier this morning that I mentioned somebody earlier, if we would simply spend a good majority of our time reading God's Word, heeding God's Word, we would find ourselves a lot less farther away from God than we normally find ourselves. And I'm not saying you're in dire straits and you need to get right with the Lord. I don't believe that at all. But I know how people are, and I know that each of us could walk a life that would be much closer to the Lord than we do. And that would be my plea today to you, one of my pleas. Walk as close to the Lord as you can. There's no greater place to be than with the Lord. Some of the points of interest in uh, the book of Leviticus are the offerings that are made there. We have what they call sweet offerings and non-sweet offerings. We have burnt offerings, meal offerings, peace offerings, the different offerings. They all have significance. And then we also find in the book of Leviticus the feasts. And the feasts are actually God's calendar of time. God measures some time by these 
for man by these different feasts. The Feast of Passover, Unleavened Bread, First Fruits, the Feast of Pentecost, the Feast of the Trumpets, Tabernacle, Day of Atonement. Uh, but we find those things in the book of Leviticus, which God is giving to us so that we might have a means to worship him. You ever get to the point where you want to know, how should I worship God? In what manner should I worship God? Go to the book of Leviticus and read. You'll find it all there in a nutshell. Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus brings us to the book of Numbers. In the book of Numbers, about 38 years are covered in this particular book. The book starts at Mount Sinai, one month after the erection of the tabernacle. And then we see when we get down to chapter 10, we see the nation Israel leaving Mount Sinai. They have received instruction from God. It's actually a continuation of the book of Leviticus. Each of these books builds on the other and continues the story of the nation Israel. The progression that we have seen thus far in the books is in Genesis. What's our emphasis? Man's sin. In the book of Exodus, man's redemption. In the book of Leviticus, a means of worship, how we might worship God. In the book of Numbers, the lesson of service. Service. Oh, I smile because, <laughs> wow, that's a great task. I don't want you to raise your hand, but have you ever been asked to do something and, and your response, even if it's just a quiet response in your own mind, I can't do that, no matter what it might be, particularly if it's in service for the Lord. I made a statement a few minutes ago. I'll repeat that statement. Whenever the God chooses you to do a task, not only does he have a task for you to do, he also has a way for you to accomplish that task. Just trust in the Lord and let it go. Service is, is, I'll just share one interesting little anecdote in my life. I was saved in December of 1961. I know most of you aren't that old, but that's okay. December of 1961 I was saved. I was 19 years old. I was in the military, and being in the military, we moved around a lot. I stayed in the military for 20 years, and we moved a lot. Uh, my older daughter was born in North Carolina. My younger daughter was born in Virginia. Um, I, after that, I traveled to the West Coast, East Coast, Vietnam, Japan, Okinawa, you name it, we, we've done it. But uh, one of our priorities through all these moves is that the first thing we want to look for is a good church. Sometimes it's not an easy task because what I'm using is what I think is a good church. And I have to overlook some of the things that I think and find out just what is going on with this church. What are they doing? But one of the things has always been to look for a good church. We have been a part of a lot of different churches in our lives. Uh, I haven't taken the time to count them, but I could go through from the time I entered the Marine Corps where we've lived and how long we lived there, and it would be up in the 20s someplace, I think. But I use this to illustrate this point. I have never been part of a church that is like this church, where a good portion of our church body is involved in service. And I think that is just great because that's what the Lord wants of us. He wants us to serve. 
to serve not only him, but also to serve each other. And I praise the Lord for everyone here who is involved in a ministry. And also, whether you're involved in a ministry or not, I praise the Lord for you. But just be aware that somebody's going to come by one of these days and tap you on the shoulder and say, you know, we could use you in... And your response should be, who, me? No. Your response should be, I'm not sure I can do that, but I'll be willing to try. Uh, Service. So in the book of Exodus, we find man's lesson of service. Uh, Purpose of the book, we find a couple of censuses that were taken while the children of Israel were wandering here in the wilderness. Um, Due to their lack of faith, God calls them to wander for 40 years. Now, how can you have a lack of faith when God is leading you in a pillar of cloud by day and a pillar of fire by night, and he's doing all these different miracles while you're wandering around. He's providing for you. People grumbled and complained, we don't have anything to eat. At least when we were in Egypt, they gave us food. God said, I'll provide manna. They had manna until it was, pardon the expression, coming out of their ears. We need some meat. God provided quail for them to have. God, God took care of them. And yet, they were disobedient. But lest we be too hard on the people of Israel, aren't we really sort of in that same category? Look how good the Lord is to us. Look what he's done for us. Look at some of the things he's given us. And yet, sometimes, I guess what I'm trying to say is, if, if we don't spend all the time during the day thinking about the Lord, then we're not giving the Lord our best. That's a great task. And, and I... I, I Oh, I better leave that one alone. I have a lot of enemies here if I keep going on that one. One of the things we see in the in the book of Numbers is the consequences of unbelief and the disobedience to the promises of God. Key verse in Numbers is found in chapter 14. It says, Not one of the men who saw my glory and the miraculous signs I performed in Egypt and in the desert, but who disobeyed me and tested me ten times. Not one of them will ever see the land I promised on oath to their forefathers. No one who has treated me with contempt will ever see it. But because my servant Caleb has a different spirit and follows me wholeheartedly, I will bring him into the land he went to, and his descendants will inherit it. We know from the scripture that it tells us that the nation Israel wandered in the wilderness for 40 years. Early in in that wandering, they sent out spies into the land. They came back and said, we we can't go there. We We cannot go there with the exception of Jacob or Joshua and Caleb. Caleb and Joshua brought back a favorable report. We find at the end now when the nation Israel actually does go into the land of uh, the promised land, that Caleb is there and Joshua is there. Joshua leads them in. Caleb is his number two man. And no one, no one who started the journey, who was over 20 years old, actually inherits the promised land. These are all a new generation that have come along, and they're the ones that actually go into the promised land. We find many interesting stories in the book of Leviticus. We find, uh, we find the story there of Aaron's rod that budded. Uh, we find the story of water from the rock, Moses striking the rock to get water. We find the story of Balaam's donkey, which is a very interesting story. Uh, we find that there was a second census that was taken. After the second census, there were over 600,000 men over the age of 20. 
And these were the ones that then inherited the promised land. The book of Numbers actually closes with the children of Israel right on the edge of the promised land at the plains of Moab. That brings us then to the fifth book, Deuteronomy. And I'm out of time, so I'll have to make this part of the next series. No, we'll just briefly do Deuteronomy and then we'll be gone. Deuteronomy closes the Pentateuch and and gives uh, the final statement of man. We have Genesis, man's sin, man's redemption in Exodus, the means of worship in Leviticus, the means of service in Numbers, and then obedience in Deuteronomy. Obedience. Uh, We find many quotes in the New Testament, especially in the book of Luke, from the uh, book of Deuteronomy. The word Deuteronomy comes from, from two words, which means second law. Now, God has not given us a us, a nation, Israel, and us through inheritance, has not given us a second law, but he has given the law a second time. Remember that I just mentioned that not anyone who entered into the the wandering in the wilderness, any adult, went into the promised land. They all died in the wilderness. Young adults came along, and they were the ones that went in. God gives the law a second time, and he gives it so that it, it... is applicable to those today. If God were to give us the Ten Commandments today, uh, just the way he gave them to Moses would be great, but probably because of times and things that are going on in our lives now, he might He might restate those in a different way. That's what he did here in, in the book of Deuteronomy. He restated the law. He gave it to the, to the younger generations. Um, key word in... in in the book of uh, Deuteronomy is, is love. It's used 22 times, and love is the basis for obedience. If we love God, we'll obey God. If we don't love God, we'll be disobedient. Think on that. Think on that. Uh, a lot of points of interest in the uh, book of Deuteronomy, but the one thing that I want to give you and as we close is if you will turn with me to the book of Deuteronomy, the very last chapter, we have what I would consider sort of a strange account of the death of Moses. Uh, it says, Then Moses climbed Mount Nebo from the plains of Moab to the top of Pisgah across from Jordan, across from Jericho. There the Lord showed him the whole land and went the land that he promised to Abraham, and he tells him that. Verse 4 says, This is the land I promised on oath to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob when I said I will give it to your descendants says then in verse 5, And Moses, the servant of the Lord, died there in Moab, as the Lord had said. He buried him in Moab, he being the Lord, in the valley Beth Peor, but to this day no one knows where his grave is. Never in the history of mankind has there been a prophet more important than Moses, I don't think. And yet, the only thing we know about Moses at the end of his life is that God buried him someplace in Moab, and we don't know where it was. The only thing I can surmise from that is that it's not important where he was. It's just important that we look at Moses' life as a great leader of Israel who wrote the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the law, and that we we look to him as a servant of God whose life is one that we could follow in our service for the Lord. That's the book of the law in a nutshell, a very small nutshell. 
There is so much contained in those first five books of the Bible that establish everything that goes on during the course of the entire Bible, God's Word. Um, I hope that someday you'll say, "Mm, let's see, I remember somebody said to me something about, uh, and this is one of Aaron's favorites, Balaam's donkey. Aaron mentioned it to me last week. Well, now you know where to find it, right? If you can remember. Uh, But I hope that will stimulate an interest in our minds to know more about what the Lord has for us. Um, It it shouldn't be a surprise when the Lord calls us to do a certain task that he has chosen us to do it. It should also not be a surprise that he's going to give us a way to complete that task. So be obedient. Love the Lord. Serve the Lord. And with that, I say let's pray. Thank you, Father, for this time that you've given us that we might have a brief look at your word. And we ask that uh, this might be important to each of us, these truths that are contained in your word, the writers of the books, the reasons for the writings, all that has transpired. We know, Lord, that they're instructive for us. We ask that we might uh, read these words, that we might follow them, that we might, they might become the, the part of our life that is the most important to us. We thank you for each one who's here. We ask safety in traveling home, and we just pray, Lord, that you'd give us all a good week this week. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you very much. You're dismissed.